welcome. You're about to meet a sophisticated redneck. You probably won't laugh at his attempts at humor, but there's always that draw. I think I see him coming out of that barn over on the far left. And here he is, the Cooth Hillbilly. Hello, folks. This is the Cooth Hillbilly once again. Welcome back. I'm not a fan of ceilings. Well, at home is good, and maybe in some buildings, but that's not the kind that we're going to talk about today. We're talking about the debt ceiling of the federal government. Whoops. I need to break in with an update. I wrote on this subject for my blog a couple of months ago, and then I recorded this, knowing that I was planning on starting a podcast. The podcast is going live in August of 2022, and there's been a bit of activity at the Federal Reserve recently. Specifically, they have raised the prime interest rate, and that will affect a little bit of what I'm saying and what was already pre-recorded. Last October, I refinanced my home to take advantage of then very low rates. I was able to get a 2.9% 30-year fixed VH loan, uh, and you can't do that now. It's about double that, according to a friend of mine who's in real estate. In this episode, I referenced the unusually low interest rates in the time at the time of the recording. I think that the difference between then and now should be juxtaposed. Not updating this would not be fair to the audience, and removing parts that are now somewhat dated would omit some aspects of the subject that are useful overall. Let me also say that I feel the Fed is overreacting. This latest increase of 0.75% is a rarity. It's kind of on the large side, particularly with their talk of another such increase coming in the next meeting. They want to stifle the current inflation. After all, that's their job. With record hiring increases and other factors associated with economic health, this is not your routine inflation that might lead to a recession. The usual indicator of a recession is two quarters in a row of falling measurements. We have had that, but to repeat, this is not routine. This inflation is worldwide, so don't blame Biden. Blame the Moscow midget, little Vlad. Anyway, the U.S. is harmed less by this global inflation than any other country that I can think of offhand. So, as I was starting to say, let's get back on track. Now, it's possible one or two people may not be as familiar with this issue as they think. For instance, we're the only country in the world with a debt ceiling. Another minor point is that the debt ceiling is unconstitutional. Now, are you ready for some football? Um, facts. Yes, Virginia, the Congress of these United States, in their infinite wisdom, made us the only country in the world subject to such a nonsensical, unnecessary, unconstitutional, and useless structure. It isn't merely a matter of embarrassment. It represents a potential threat to this country and the world that can only be guessed at. Why would they put us in so precarious a position? Why would they so jeopardize us? The debt ceiling took years to develop. It was intended to help the United States Treasury. The original intent was laudable. 
Its present misuse as a political weapon is despicable. Until the time of World War I, the big one, Congress would authorize each specific debt that was incurred. A couple of decades, efforts were made to provide the Treasury an easier way of dealing with debts. Those efforts were formalized into a law in 1939 that provided for a debt ceiling. No good deed goes unpunished, particularly when the good deed doer has no idea of what they're doing. Most debt is incurred by action of the Congress. However, the executive branch can cause some debt. Even the courts can subject the government to debts, intentionally or not, as a result of some rulings. However debt may be incurred, if it is legal, the Treasury must, by mandate of the Constitution, pay that debt. The Constitution makes no allowance for failure to pay any and all legal debts. Additionally, while the above is stated quite explicitly, the Constitution is what the Supreme Court says it is. In 1935, the Supreme Court very clearly ruled that Congress did not have the power to cause any legally incurred debt to go unpaid. There would otherwise be no way to promise the full faith and allegiance of the United States to any obligation. Those great patriotic worshipers of the Constitution may tell the Treasury that they can't pay any bills once the ceiling is breached. They need to actually read the Constitution. It would also help if they would read an occasional ruling that the Supreme Court hands down. While the above is true and easy to understand, there is a political consideration. It is very unlikely that any Secretary of the Treasury would be willing to be seen as defying Congress. It's a sure bet that Secretary Yellen and any of her predecessors and successors see or saw their only option being to bow to Congress and pretend that they have the final word. Hey, we had a president who used to be a professor of constitutional law. Surely he's familiar with the original part of the Constitution. Surely he can read all the way down to Section 4 of the 14th Amendment. But, even though he may have known better, he has no more political room for maneuver than the Secretary of the Treasury. We are stuck under the thumbs of super-patriots who don't understand most of the Constitution and disagree with everything they do understand. Now, we hear that there is a certain amount beyond which the Treasury will be barred from borrowing. We're being told that once the cash-on-hand runs out, the treasury will, be, treasury will be barred from paying any bills or other obligations. Were that it was so straightforward. They say that our armed forces personnel, those on Social Security, and many others cannot be paid. But guess who can? Did you say the banks? You are either absolutely brilliant or at least have a realistic perception of the way the system works. How do they justify that? Ask them. The IRS collection personnel will continue to be paid as you and I will still be required to come up with the wherewithal to keep those bankers' bonuses flowing. Okay, you say. What's so bad about not raising the debt ceiling? The truth is, we don't know. I can recall nothing even close to this happening before. We have no real analog for guidance. We must depend on educated guesses. Some of the guesswork can provide a relatively high degree of confidence, but we do know the level of greed that guides the majority of the players. We know the inane ideology that they will use to rationalize their actions. We know that fear-mongering will likely set new standards. 
Put them all together, Dr. Frankenstein. Usually, interest on the debt is one of the largest items in the annual budget. You may have heard that the interest rates are very low. That has allowed us to borrow at a very low cost for the past few years. It is obviously to our government's and taxpayers' benefit to extend those low interest rates as long as we can. That makes sense, you say, won't we? If you find some of the following confusing and conflicting, you're right. Many in and out of Congress are determined that we pay higher rates. How could they be so unconcerned for our country's economic well-being? Some because they are ideologues, some for putative political advantage, some for both reasons. It is difficult to understand the thinking, if you call it that, of some politicians. The banks love the essentially almost free money that they can borrow right now. The banks have told the representatives not to shut the government down. Likely they will obey their orders, but for the sake of ideology and their, and their ever-credulous constituencies, they want to push it to the brink. The banks, our creditors, and other fi- major financial entities, relying on our full faith and allegiance, will begin to get fidgety at some point before the actual deadline. The automatic, ideologically-based response will be to raise interest rates. Our government, we the taxpayers, might lose those low interest rates ahead of the final due date. Here we have the true believers screaming that the debt is too large. They threaten massive cuts to every program that helps the middle class and sustains the poor. Though our taxes are among the lowest in more than 60 years, they bemoan as intolerable a tax burden on the top 2% and are willing to increase the debt for their benefit. Now comes the kicker. They are willing to cause the government's interest rates to increase, incurring additional debt in the hundreds of billions. Don't forget to send these self-described debt haters a thank you note. While the concern by the banks, China, the Saudis, the Brits, and all of the other major players, because the U.S. dollar is the currency of the realm, Everyone puts their full faith and allegiance into the dollar. Everything in international trade is denoted in the dollar. There is the stability required for the financial world to function because there is a common coin. So, just replace it with a euro. You may not have heard that several members of the European community are experiencing even greater financial discomfort than we are. Greece, Ireland... Iceland, uh, Portugal, and others have flirted with bankruptcy in the recent past. This is putting heavy stress on the stronger national banks of the community. There's not inconsiderable talk of some members of leaving the euro. Some even talk about abolishing it. That doesn't sound to me like a promising alternative. What about gold? (laughs) Give me a moment. Let me stifle my paroxysm of giggling. The Washington Monument measures 55 feet on each side of its base. It stands 555 feet high. All the gold ever gathered by mankind in its entire history would equal about one-third of the volume of the Washington Monument. That doesn't seem to be too much. Use all that as the basis for finances of the entire world? And that doesn't take into consideration how much would be needed for the egos of both the rich and the poor in Rolexes and teeth. 
Allow me to translate that for sports fans. The playing field for football is 300 feet long and 160 feet wide. This, of course, doesn't include the end zones. All of the gold gathered in the history of mankind would stack up on that playing field a bit less than 11 and a half feet, barely higher than the crossbars of the goalpost. Both domestic and international trade are dynamic. Their growth is impressive. The amount of gold is essentially static. There's no way to construct a viable system based on gold. Anyone suggesting it is totally ignorant or needs to be returned to their parents' care. People usually fail to take into consideration how advantageous it is for us to have our currency accepted as the de facto world standard. When OPEC quotes prices in dollars, we have both a slight real advantage and a psychological advantage. We are, to a degree, insulated from most of the zigs and zags of currency values. In many cases, the cost and convenience of currency exchange works to our advantage, as tourists and as direct buyers from other countries. If the world were to hold our creditworthiness or solvency in question, the pedestal of world superpower will start to crumble at an alarming rate. Our national strength has always been intimately yoked to, indeed based on, our perceived economic dominance. It's impossible to quantify the potential damage from shutting down the government to us or everyone else. The loss of the standard will mean economic turmoil around the world until a new system can be developed. The present system developed in the aftermath of World War II and was only possible because the rest of the world was prostrate. I really can't recommend revisiting those conditions. The politicians, most of them, are presently playing games with this issue for some expected political advantage. It's time to realize that this isn't a game and hope some of the adults come to the fore. The reason no one has taken it up is because some people in Congress have found a political weapon to will whenever they want. No member of the executive branch ever wants to be seen as the enemy of Congress. Even those members not a player in the fight will stand up for their colleagues' special status and perks. It's not exactly the same, but no group of congressmen will seriously challenge automatic pay raises. It's a bizarre world. It doesn't matter that the law is not constitutional. The membership of Congress was more cordial back then in 1939 than it is today, but generally no more intelligent. That may sound cute, but I'm absolutely serious. Even the occasional intelligent one must play by the rules and spend most of each day raising contributions. That's the real benefit from term limits. You allow them to spend some time on business and to get people in office who have concerns larger than their egos. The case before the Supreme Court was Perry versus United States. Even without that ruling, the Constitution speaks for itself. The court used Section 4 of the 14th Amendment. Now, that primarily deals with debts not to be honored, such as for loss of the value of slaves upon gaining freedom and any debt of the Confederacy or any debt incurred in the cause of fighting the Union. The English and the French loaned the South considerable amounts. They were unable to recover that. One person did make his opinion known, and he has perfect conservative credentials, Bruce Bartlett. He's an economist with whom I disagree on many things, such as supply-side economics. He served on Ron Paul's staff and then Jack Kemp's. He played a major role in writing of the Kemp-Roth bill. 
He served Reagan in various roles, including executive director of the Joint Economic Committee. He served in the Treasury under the first Bush and was a loud opponent of the policies of the second. Alone, he didn't represent a serious threat to congressional prerogatives. None of the people who he worked for and advised took up the challenge. These politicians are to Congress as we are to our wives. In our sane moments, we have no desire to pull out the bedding for the couch. My apologies. I've tortured you more than you deserve. And that's a professional habit of economists. Well, thanks for stopping by, and y'all come back now, you hear? Thanks for coming by and listening to the Couth Hillbilly Podcast. Not to worry, he'll be back and we hope that you will be too. In the meantime, just run over to CouthHillbilly.com and subscribe. That's C-O-U-T-H Hillbilly.com. That way you'll be certain to never miss an episode. Stay safe.